Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Living Lampstands by Pastor Sean Wood. And God's desire to have fellowship with us and how the bread is significantly symbolic of Christ and how he is our more. We live in a generation today where people are under the relentless pursuit of more. And Jesus came and said, I'm the bread of life. And when he said that, he said, I am your more. Everything you're hungering for, everything you're looking for, I am your deepest satisfaction. We notice with the, both the ark and the table that God gave measurements for those. When we get to the lampstand, there's no measurements. We actually don't know the actual size of the lampstand. And another difference is with both the ark and the table of shoebread, they were made of acacia wood and overlaid with gold. With the lampstand, it's all gold. So what is this lampstand? And what did it symbolise in the tabernacle? And what does it mean for us today? And the answer to the last one may be surprising. Let's have a look at the lampstand as we make our way through. You shall make a, I won't read the whole lot, but, but God says to Moses, you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. No timber. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. And, and how they would uh, fashion gold in ancient times was they would make wooden moulds that you would pour and hammer the gold into. And what we see here is, is reasonably close to what you would expect to see. The, the whole lampstand was made with uh, six branches, three on each side, and there were seven lamps. And all of that is really significant and important as we work our way forward. And, and the lamps at the top, some people say that it was a golden candlestick, and it's not a candlestick. You see, candles burn by self-consumption. Lamps burn by oil that is continuously topped up. The number one function, this will become important in a moment, the number one function of the priest was to tend the lampstand. And that lampstand was to give off perpetual light, always. And it was lit at the close of daytime and the, the priest had to keep it burning all night. You read in the book of Samuel, chapter 3, that uh, when Samuel was uh, near the Ark of the Covenant, which is an interesting term, what are you doing there? It says that Samuel, the boy, 15, was laying down where the Ark of the Covenant was. What are you doing there? Interesting. But he heard the voice of the Lord at the time when the lamp was about to burn out. Then the priest would come in and would tend the lamp, would trim the wicks, would, would, would refurbish the, the bowls. But when the lampstand was lit, its first function was to illuminate, uh, one, the way to the presence. The lampstand would face towards the Ark of the Covenant, but uh, it would illuminate the whole holy place. And, and the idea is, uh, as we see here, we often think, well, uh, surely there must have been some light. But that tabernacle wasn't just a sheet thrown up over a few poles. It wasn't like the tent that you camp in uh, out in the bush. This thing had like four layers of goat skins and, and other things. You just No light got in there. No natural light got in the holy place, and that's how God wanted it. And this lamp, and uh, Jewish tradition says that the Israelites would stand at the front door of a nighttime of their tents to see the glow of the lampstand, glowing 
from within the tabernacle as a sign and a reassurance of the presence of God. Everything we see in the lampstand, the pure gold, the brightness and the fire all speak about the divine presence of God. But uh, when it was fully lit and how it was constructed, it would give off being the picture of a tree. Uh, If we read down a little bit further, verse 34, And on the lampstand itself there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers. And, and, And the representation here is a tree. When it's in full light, it looks like a tree. And the light was designed to to unveil and reveal the glory of the lampstand as well as illumine the place of worship. And immediately we can say, well, we know what that symbolises. We know that every part of the furnishings in the tabernacle symbolises deeply, uh, teaches us a lot about Christ. And, and of course, we saw the ark speaks about God's presence with us, more about that in a moment. And, and we saw that the table was God's fellowship and the bread. Jesus says, I'm the bread of the life. And the lampstand was obviously echoes when Jesus would stand and say, oh, I am the light of the world. Let me read some verses for you. I wasn't going to read these verses, but I love them. My favourite chapter in the Bible is John chapter 1. The first 14 verses of the Gospel of John, A.W. Tozer preached those first 14 verses. took him over 12 months. But listen to this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And what is, what is Jesus saying? What is the lampstand teaching us? That in a dark world where people are feeling their way through a dark world with their eyes closed, thinking they know the way, Jesus comes as a light to show them, not only are you blind, but there is a way to the presence of God. So we know that this represents Jesus as the light of the world. Uh, interesting that when Jesus made that statement, It was at a time of a prominent feast in the Gospel of John. Uh, You can read it for yourself in chapter 8, but it was a prominent feast. But what would happen is against the backdrop of Jerusalem at that time was lit with enormous lamps. Uh, If you can imagine a huge pole with a big bowl on top and they would light the streets with these things. And against that backdrop, Jesus would say, I am the light of the world. And of course, we know that this symbolises Jesus as the light of the world. And we also know that when this is fully lit, uh, Jewish tradition would say that they consider that to be the tree of life. And so it was a representation that God is all of their light and God is all of their life. The presence of God is life. Being in relationship with God is life. Jesus came to give us life. And John the Baptist, if you read on in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist comes and he says, hey, I'm not the light, I've come to witness of the light. What's he saying? I've come to point you to the true light. Uh, When I was young, we used to do uh, a lot of trout fishing and the reality is that uh, we always say one more cast, one more cast, one more cast and then the three of us in the boat go, you know what, I can no longer see my flies at the end of the line and I can no longer see you in the boat. We need to go home. And I can remember flying across a lake in pitch black darkness. How nice it was to see the lights that used to light up the boat ramp. No other light to be seen but the light on the boat ramp. Jesus came to be that light on the boat ramp when people are navigating stormy seas. 
I've come to guide you home. And as we're working our way through, maybe we're asking ourselves, is Jesus the lampstand? Is is Jesus the table? Is Jesus the ark? Well, Jesus is none of those. They speak wonderfully and beautifully and gloriously of Jesus. But today we're going to see that in the whole picture of the tabernacle, we're going to see who Jesus is amidst all of that. What does the lampstand mean to us today? How do we apply it to our lives today? You're asking really good questions. (laughs) For those that that already know, in Revelation chapter 1, we read a really interesting passage of Scripture. And Jesus helps us to understand this passage. But uh, the book of Revelation is a letter. No S on the end of the book of Revelation. It's one revelation. And as you're reading your way through, let me help you to try and understand it a little bit. Uh, Ask yourself the question, not what comes next. Ask, what did John see? Don't worry about chronological order when you're reading the the book of Revelation, because you'll actually find it's one revelation that he sees at different parts. But in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, John the Apostle and the disciple, verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. The voice is Christ, and that's profound, because we're talking about a young man. By the time he is 16, 17, he's leaning on the bosom. That's how young the disciples were when Jesus called them. We forget that sometimes. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, at best, John is 17 years of age. And he's the one leaning on the bosom of Christ in the upper room, the first upper room. And he would say that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. Self-confession, loved himself a little bit, maybe. But he says, you know what, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. But yet, here he hears Jesus' voice and he says, who's that? Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And what did he see? What did you see, John? And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And here's the really, really wonderful part. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, immediately we get the picture We've covered the fact that the number one job of the high priest was to come in and to tend the lamps, to trim the wicks, to make sure the oil was topped up. We'll get there to all of those in a moment. But uh, here we have the high priest amidst his lampstands, tending his lampstands. And he has a word for them. We're going to get to one of those words in a moment because I believe that word is a word for us here this morning. But, uh, but the lampstand is every one of us. The church is the lampstand, yes, and this, this church is made up of many lampstands that have been called to uh, uh, set forth God's light, to reveal the glory of God and to be those that magnify his light in this world. What did Jesus say? Uh, you are the light of the world. Nobody lights a lamp and puts it under the bed. No, 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 everybody lights a lamp and puts it where? Up on its stand so that everybody may see its light. You are a lampstand. This church is a lampstand. Jesus is tending his lampstands. In Matthew chapter 25, we read of ten virgins. And the whole thrust of that parable is to be ready for an uncertain and unexpected time when Jesus was going to come back. 
And we can work our way through that parable and we find some interesting facts about first century uh, weddings. There was an engagement first where there was an agreement between the fathers and then there was a betrothal where there was a ceremony where you exchanged uh, uh, promises. And then there was the wedding, which was at an unannounced and unexpected time that the bridegroom would come pick up his bride and the bridal party and the ten virgins of the bridal party. The bride's not mentioned, by the way, in the parable, just inferred. And the parable's not about your labour, it's about your life. And we work our way through that parable. Everything about those virgins is the same. They all went out to meet the bridegroom. They all fell asleep. They all had lamps that began to burn. But where we see the difference was some were wise and some were foolish. The foolish ones forgot the oil. And so the oil is a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit. We cannot give off God's light under our own steam. But we have been called be lights. We live in a dark world. We live in a world where people are lost. We live in a world where people are trying to find their way home, and home is the presence of God. And Jesus had a message for his lampstands. If you read on in uh, Revelation chapter 1, Jesus tells us plainly that the seven golden lampstands, they are the seven churches. And, and the book of Revelation is a letter written to seven churches. And the first church is Ephesus. Here's what Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Seven stars were the seven messengers or the seven angels or the seven pastors of the seven churches. I hold you in my right hand, thank you, Lord, who walk among the seven golden lampstands. I am the one that walks among, that frequents the seven golden lampstands. He is the one that comes to top us up with oil that we may burn bright for him. That is Jesus. I am the one that... And, but Ephesus, uh, we need a little bit of history when we come to Ephesus and we need to bring it into our own context because Ephesus started really well. They started burning really, really bright. They got it right, but by the time Jesus is talking to them here, something's happened. And you see the church at Ephesus, you can read the history of the church of Ephesus, starts in Acts chapter 19. Is it the most influential church at that time? No, Antioch is probably better understood to be the most influential church. But aside from Antioch, Ephesus was a hugely influential church. Huge amounts of church leaders were born and sent out from Ephesus. The, the Apostle John will finish his days ministering at the church of Ephesus. But it starts with just a handful of believers. Uh, Ephesus was a church that was ridden with idol worship. They were worshipping anything that they could get their hands on, they were worshipping it. And Paul comes to the church, well, comes to the city of Ephesus at this time, and, and when he gets there, he finds a handful of believers. And he says to these guys, have you guys been filled with the Holy Spirit? And they went, "Ke." Yeah. We know my Colombian friends. Okay? We don't even we haven't even heard of a Holy Spirit. These guys have been labouring away in Ephesus. Nothing happens. They get filled with the Holy Spirit, and Ephesus get turned upside down. That city gets turned upside down. Just starts with a handful of believers. What are we beginning to learn about Ephesus? Ephesus may have started small, but what set them apart as a lampstand church was they were filled with oil, friends. They were burning bright for Jesus. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They turned that place upside down. They received the word of God in much affliction and persecution. Uh, Paul will speak of his time in Ephesus and go, whoa, man, did I have a rough ride there. 
And for Paul to say he had a rough ride at Ephesus, he had a rough ride everywhere he went. If you are converted and at your conversion, Jesus tells the guy next to you, I'm going to, tell, I'm going to show this guy how much he must suffer for me. How many of us know you're in for a bad day? <laughs> if Jesus says that, put your seatbelt on, Paul, you're in for a little bit of a ride, and Paul was. But Ephesus began as a lampstand church full of the oil of the Holy Spirit. And man, oh man, did they impact Asia Minor. A massively influential church. You read through the epistle, and the epistle has some challenges, yes, but the epistle is very encouraging in many ways. Paul writes the epistle, and many scholars actually say, you know what, this sounds like one long prayer. And when you read it, it kind of reads like one long prayer. And they had their challenges. And uh, as they were meeting challenges, Paul sends Timothy to pastor them. Timothy's just a young guy. He sends Timothy to pastor them. And their troubles began with some distorted teaching and there were some splits and there was some carry on. Now Jesus has, and before we go any further, let's take Ephesus out, shall we? I wonder what Jesus would say if he wrote us a letter today. To the angel of the church at the rock. I wonder what Jesus, I wonder what would follow that. I try not to think about it too much because it can keep you up at night. Jesus goes on and says to the church at Ephesus, I know your works. I know your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. That's really important for Ephesus. That guy's floating through going, hey, I'm an apostle, I'm super anointed and da 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 da. And they're like, yeah, we're going to test you a little bit. Because we had about 10 guys say that and they've caused a whole lot of trouble. So we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're probably going to weigh you a little bit before we go any further. Uh, verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. Sounds good, right? The Ephesians are starting to sit back in their chairs, starting to poke the chest out, starting to go, yeah, we're all that in a bucket of chips. There is a but coming. But let's go back and let's reread this for a moment. Uh, to the church at the rock, I know your works, I see your food link, I see your wonderful building, I see that you're enduring with really crazy bogan-looking pastors from Tasmania. <laughs> I was looking for an amen and I was going to ring security, but nobody said amen. <laughs> Everyone said no, but we were thinking it, pastor. <laughs> but you know what? Without what comes next, none of that means anything. And here's here's what Uzzah teaches us about the presence of God. You can't manage God's presence. You can't control God's presence. And here's the message to Ephesus and here's the message to us. You can't spiritualise God's presence. You can't, you can, it doesn't matter how, how many works you do. It doesn't matter how, how many ceremonies you have. It doesn't matter how you adorn the building. It doesn't matter how much you put up with that bogan pastor. You can't control my presence. You can't manufacture me. It doesn't matter how many chapters. Let's take it down to an individual level. I'll just read more chapters of the Bible and pray more so I can get closer to God. Those things are good. But if you're missing what's about to come next, they're all just paper. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Jesus says the lampstand looks all right. From the outside, it looks all right. But you're running low on oil, Ephesus. 
The flames are starting to burn down. This is pretty serious stuff. Because what Jesus will say to Ephesus is, you either repent or I'm going to take it, come and take your lampstand out. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned your first, the love you had at first. You have abandoned your first love. You know, you can read the seven letters to the seven churches and what you will find is the message is somewhat the same, just applied differently. We looked at Laodicea last time. What did we find with Laodicea? That there were some issues there. They, they thought they had it all, but they were lukewarm. They weren't burning hot. What's the same with Ephesus, right? They've abandoned their first love. Friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, you can read all the chapters of the Bible you like. You can pray for as long as you like. But if there's no love, if those flames aren't burning on the inside, then you're wasting your time. You're in dry religion. The message of the gospel is not a promise to take you to a place. That'll happen. You'll spend eternity in the presence of God. That's, that's a place called heaven, yes. The message of the gospel is being reconciled to a person. Amen. It's a chasm that's being closed. It's a sanctuary that we lost. Paradise we lost can be experienced today. I want you to know that eternal life begins here, right now, today, while you're alive, while you're breathing oxygen, it has its consummation and its glory day, yes, when we enter into the presence of God, absolutely, and we all look forward to that day, hallelujah, but eternal life begins now. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you. Jesus said to those that came to him, well, haven't we prophesied in your name? Maybe there's some from Ephesus that'll be saying that. Maybe, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we heal the sick in your name? What did Jesus say? Away from me because I never knew you. There's no love here. There's no relationship here. I I came to your lampstand and it was out. Friends, without the oil, we give off no light. Without the oil, we have no empowerment. Jesus came to give us the wonderful blessing of the perpetual oil of the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful gentleman he is. I know your works, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned your first love. Maybe that's you here today. Maybe you're saying, you know what, Pastor? I could be burning brighter for Jesus. What do I need to do? Well, I'm glad you're asking good questions this morning. The three R's is what we all need to do. Uh, The first R is to remember. Remember from where you have fallen. Remember the relationship. Remember. Remember what it was like. Remember when you opened the Bible and you didn't read 15 chapters, you read, you read 15 verses and it was all you could get through because the presence of God was so rich. You weren't perfect and you, you were working your theology out as you went along. That's okay. But remember when you had a passion for God. Remember when you used to get up before the alarm went off to get into the presence of God. Remember from where you were fallen, repent. Second R is repent. There's a word that seems to be missing a lot today from churches and maybe even our own lives. I'm gonna, uh, let me categorically point something out for you today. No matter where you go in Scripture, Old Testament or New Testament, no matter where you go in church history, doesn't matter where you go on the planet, doesn't matter what, every mighty move have, of God has been predicated by one thing, Repentance. When there was revival in Israel, they repented. They tore down the high places. They smashed the Asherah poles. They run the cats out of town. They they did all. They repented, (laughs) brother Terry. It's like Aladala, pure. Pure. 
It doesn't matter what revival you touch on through history. It doesn't matter. We, we want God to visit. You know, it starts here. You know, in the epistle of James, he calls us the first fruits. And the first fruits, the first fruits of a grain offering was what you separated and consecrated for God as a promise for a greater harvest. That's what the first fruits were. Everybody in this room is the first fruits of God, the promise of a greater harvest. What did Jesus say? Unless a grain of wheat. Let me tell you where revival comes from. Let me tell you how you get the harvest. Jesus told us, uh, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it falls into the earth and dies, it becomes a harvest, right? Of course, Jesus was talking of himself, but the principle's the same for us. Let's finish off the word to Ephesus this morning. Uh, you need to remember where you have fallen. You need to repent and you need to repeat. You need to, you need to do the work you did at first. Remember when, remember when you used to come to the pastor and say, can we have a third meeting on Sundays? Because two is just not enough. Remember when you used to say, can you have a couple more life groups and I'll be at the prayer meeting? Remember when you did those work? Remember when they couldn't keep you out of the word of God? You didn't fully understand it. It was a little bit confusing. You were trying to memorize verses and you got bits and pieces of it wrong. You stopped reading the old King James and became spiritual almost overnight. But... <laughs> Do the work you did at first. Let's keep reading. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Out. No more oil, no more cups. You're welcome. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans. Now, that's not a bunch of guys who used to sit around and smoke. That's the Nicotinians. But it is a bunch of guys. <laughs> but, but the Nicolaitans, more, more about them another day. <laughs> this is why we preach indoors, friends, so I can't get hit. Uh, yeah, this you have, you hate the works, that, that's profound because the Nicolaitans were actually imposing and teaching compromise. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. We still have Nicolaitans today. Which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It doesn't, remember the tree of life. Uh, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Wherever you find the tree of life, you're in the presence of God. Go to the end of the book of Revelation, you will find the tree of life. You will find the presence of God. And eating is partaking. Uh, the sin that was committed in the Garden of Eden wasn't a sin where they looked at the fruit. Uh, Eve did that first. Then she ate. And, and, and eating is really important because uh, the presence of God and a relationship with God is not something to be a set of theological ideas or something that we agree with. It's, we're supposed to eat, we're supposed to partake, we're supposed to experience his presence. I'm going to ask the stewards if they could hand out the emblems this morning as we come around the Lord's table. And as we come around the Lord's table, I wonder if we begin to reflect, I, I, I want to share some verses that we part with, but can we begin to quiet our own hearts and just 
Just examine our own hearts. How bright is your lampstand burning this morning? Jesus, uh, in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is our high priest. Jesus, as the high priest, we learned that uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which is, of course, a symbol of the presence of God, we, it was overlaid with a cover or the mercy seat. And, and we learned that in the, in the tabernacle, the, the high priest would, would take the blood from the altar and he would take it into the mercy seat and sprinkle the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement. But our high priest took his blood into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat so that we no longer have to be at distance from God, but we can be in the presence of God. Here's how how Jesus put it to to a bunch of guys that were confused. Uh, Jesus was speaking about going away. I mean, they had left everything for this guy. uh, When you leave your fishing boat, you've left everything, friends. And uh, these guys left their fishing boat, they left their nets, they left their friends to follow Jesus. And now he's telling them, I'm going away. But but in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, there's a beautiful promise here. And when we're looking at the tabernacle, uh, the Gospel of John says that uh, in chapter 1, verse 14, he says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, or the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And what John was saying was the the divine, glorious presence of God was housed in this outer tent. Hold that imagery for a moment. So glorious was that, that three men were on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they say, you know what, there was a moment in time when the tent dropped. And all we could see was the glory. Wow. Transform their lives. But Jesus is showing us that there's a new tabernacle. There's a new place that God wants to dwell. Here's how Jesus put it. I'll read the whole passage for you this morning. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Notice what comes first there. Jesus didn't say, if you keep my commandments, you may just be in love with me. That's not what he said. He said, if you love me, then you will do what I've asked you to do. And and I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper, another counsellor, another advocate. Somebody who works on your behalf and speaks on your behalf. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. Why? For he dwells with you and will be in you. And immediately we... Am I a good host? I will not leave you as orphans. That's a powerful word. I will come to you. (laughs) Notice he doesn't set out a whole lot of regulations. This is what I love about the message of the gospel. Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to leave and here's what you need to do so you can be infilled with the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to come to you. All you need to do is open the front door and let me in. We're not there yet. Yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I, will, because I leave, you also will leave. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. 
Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus answered them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Listen to these words. And we will come to him and make our home with him. This was not available pre-cross. Pre-cross, Holy Spirit visits. Post-cross, Holy Spirit dwells. Pre-cross, tabernacle. Post-cross, tabernacle. I don't know about anybody else in this room, but there are times in my life when I need help. And I need a helper. Jesus gave me a helper. As we sit in his presence just quietly this morning, is your lamp burning this morning? you open the door for Jesus? Lord, in this moment right now, we choose to just remember you. We choose to remember that there was a moment in history when you chose to come to us and to make your home inside of us. There was a chasm that we couldn't close, so you came to us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, friends, he he took the bread. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This morning, can we, in remembrance of our Saviour, can we eat together? And taking the cup, he he says, this is my blood. Oh, how I love that song that we sung on Good Friday. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There was a moment in time when you entered the heavenly tabernacle, Lord Jesus, and you took your blood to the mercy seat and you became and are our propitiation. You are our mercy seat. You are the one that closed the chasm. You are the one that came to us. We drink in remembrance of everything that your blood has purchased for us. Let us drink together in his name this morning. Father, I thank you this morning as we, as we finish this morning, I thank you that you have come to make your home inside of us and I pray that each one of us would be lampstands that would burn bright for you. I pray, Father, that you would draw us all back into a loving relationship, that we would drop our religion, that we would drop, Lord God, our ceremonies, that we would, Lord, come out of the bushes and come back into the presence of God.
I pray, Father, that we all would be holy hosts for your wonderful presence and your spirit. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.